Amen. That's right. We're once again, our topic, World Religions, Cults, and the Occult, the ninth one. That's right. I don't have time to write it tonight, so I pre-did it, Bobby. Woo! That's time management. It's Jehovah's Witnesses is what we're on. Now, as you turn there, believe it or not, that's right. Read. Uh, he beat you to it uh, there, Pastor Tom. Apparently, prayed so much, we're getting into page two. Give up for read tonight. I don't know if you guys realize what he's done for you. But uh, anyway, that's right. We're going to get into page two. And uh, by way of recap, as you turn to our page there, we've already seen the review. And I want to review this because we're going to get into this tonight. What are the classic? The first paragraph we dealt with was a review. What are signs that you're involved in a cult? Okay, and following a cult leader. Well, here's what it is. They always get these things wrong. One of five, the source of authority outside the Bible, the nature of God, including the what? The Trinity, the personal work of Jesus Christ, they get wrong. The nature of man and how in the world you get to heaven, i.e. the means of salvation. We're going to see that again tonight. And unfortunately, Jehovah's Witnesses, as the others we've already seen, uh, they do it too. Okay, now we talk, took a look at their founding uh, folks. We looked already at Charles Taze Russell, uh, then Judge Rutherford, who's not even really a judge, but anyway, he called himself one. I guess that makes you one. And, uh, but then we're going to get into the next one tonight, okay, the Watchtower, right? Because the Watchtower, because what we're going to see basically is their source of authority started out with this guy. He's the only one, Charles Russell is the only one who could rightly interpret the scriptures for First mistake, run, okay? Well, then it got transferred to the guy that replaced him, Judge Rutherford, as we saw with that. Worked out pretty good for him because he got that palatial mansion in San Diego, and all the other stuff we saw a lot of time. Then, basically, got transferred to a giant entity uh, called the Watchtower. And basically, this, not even the Bible, not even really their own perverted version of the Bible, the New World Translation, which we'll get into, Lord willing, in great detail. They don't even really follow that. Okay, what we're going to see is it's straight out of this. Pamphlets, studies out of that, etc. But let's take a look at the very bottom paragraph on that first page there. Jehovah's Witnesses has several what studies? Book studies. Notice it didn't say this word there. Bible studies. Book studies. Where do you think those book studies come from? They come from headquarters. These guys. That's where it's being disseminated. That's the sole source of authority now. They, only they, can in, interpret their, uh, the Bible. And again, their version of the Bible is not even a translation. It's a perversion. Again, we'll probably have a whole study on, just on that later. But they have book studies each week. Now, the members are not required to attend, but there's an expectation to participate. No pressure. You don't have to, but if you don't, you're going to go to hell. You're going to see that once again, these guys are in essence, basically, it's a, it's a cult. It's a cult. Scared to death. You don't do what they say, you're from Satan. You don't do what they say, you don't really love God. You don't get out there knocking on doors, you're doomed. It's a works-based salvation, a false gospel based out of fear. Fear and threats, and even threats for eternity, right? So even though technically you're not, you don't have to, but yeah, have fun trying not to, okay, is the issue. Now, it's during these... Again, not Bible studies, what? Book studies, okay, that the Jehovah's Witnesses is constantly exposed to counter, is your first blank there, counter Christian teachings. What's he mean? Well, false teaching, okay, things that counter Christianity. The Watchtower Society statistic, listen to how hard, you got to admire at least their tenacity. The Watchtower's statistics indicate that 740, not seven, not 74, 740 house calls are required to recruit each of the nearly 200,000 new members who join every year, right? If anything, it's like that person, all right, okay, I'll come, get off my back, right? 740 times, right? And we asked somebody to come to a church service once, and they said, no, I'll never ask my kid in my life. <laughs> These guys are putting us to shame, right? And what's sad, they're leading people into falsehood, a false gospel, a false Jesus, 
hey, we got the truth, man. We should at least do 741. Right? Right? But so you got to admire their tenacity. But again, why did they do it? Because it isn't just because, oh, they just feel so loving. They, but you got to. You got to get out there knocking on that door. And that's what we saw started, was started by Judge Rutherford. After they took a nosedive because of the split that they went in, he cranked it up with, hey, you got to get out there knocking. Although he probably didn't himself, as we saw before. But that's what's going on there, and that's what really motivates them. Okay? Now, according to Jehovah's Witnesses theology, the next page, that's right, the next page, yeah, we're cruising now. I can let the smoke clear. There's so much friction from turning the pages so fast here. Uh, but anyway, according to Jehovah's Witnesses theology, God is a what? Single person, not a what? Trinity. What? And what do we just say? What's the classic sign that you're unfortunately involved in a cult? What are they always going to get wrong? The nature of God and specifically the Trinity. They always choke on the Trinity. Now, as we saw before, once again, if you can't uh, understand the Trinity and if you don't believe in the Trinity, it's not because we made it up. It's in the Bible. It's in the first page, the first chapter of the Bible, right? Genesis 1, 26. Let us make man in our image. Elohim, it's a plural Hebrew word. Who's us? If you don't understand and believe in the biblical doctrine of the Trinity, who's us, right? Okay, it is clearly... Uh, God the Father, God the Son, the God the Holy Spirit. Jesus' baptism. When he said his baptism, you got who? God the Father speaking from the sky, God the Son in the water, and God the Holy Spirit descending on the Son. Which one's not God? How do you explain that? Right? And the trinities, we saw over and over again. They want to say, oh, no, it's three gods. But once again, how many times have we gone through this? It's not one plus one plus one. Yeah, that would equal three, as if they were different if you will, entities. No, it's God of the same essence. He presents himself as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One times one times one is what? One. So we've mathematically, you got three ones, it still equals one. It's the same thing. Or the classic example, once again, of water, right? You got water, you leave it alone, it's a what? It's a liquid. You freeze it, it's what? It's a solid. You heat it up, it becomes a what? A vapor, it's gaseous. Which one of those is not water? They all are. God's one God. There's only one God. Of course there's only one God. But he presents himself to us as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's it. What's the big deal? But no, cults, they choke it. And I think one of the things that they do, and you're going to see with Jehovah's Witnesses, because you can't celebrate Christmas, you can't celebrate a birthday, you can't do, and we'll get into that Lord willing later. It's all just a distinction to go like this. Well, that's what the old establishment believes. But real Christianity holds to these things, the new truth that we know better than anybody else. They have to distance themselves. Like they got something else that nobody does. Right? And again, unfortunately, uh, it's not scriptural. Now, not only that, do they get it wrong that God is, uh, as quote, single person only uh, and not a trinity. Listen to this. It's like, are you serious? Who what? What's the next words there? Who do, God, they're a version of God who does not know all things. What? Then you're not God. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me? Oh, and we're not done. Now, basically, as we saw before, even a secular philosophy, if you wanted to flirt with the idea of a supreme being, i.e. God, okay, there has to be logically, philosophically, there's got to be four attributes in order to qualify to be a supreme being. You have to be all-powerful or omnipotent, all-knowing or omniscient, which is right here, everywhere present or not, uh, omnipresent, or self-existent, eternal with no beginning, right? So basically, even from a secular definition, if you want to flirt with the idea that there is a God by definition, you're denying one of them. I mean, even a non-Christian could get you on this one, but this is really what they believe. But let's deal with the omniscience of God, that God knows all things. I mean, they literally say that God does not know all things. You know what is the height of arrogance? Because these people say, we know all things. 
And you have no right to disagree with us. In fact, if you do, we'll see if we get that far. You are from Satan and you don't love God. It's called a cult. And I got direct quotes if we can make it that far. Uh, but let's deal with the omniscience of God. That's not what the Bible teaches. So you can think that all you want. But it's not just you just ripped off just the basic secular definition, even definition of a God, supreme being. Okay, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The omniscience of God is the principle that God is all-knowing. He encompasses all knowledge of the universe, past, present, and universe. God knows everything. Now, it's because we made that up, and we want to feel better about life. No, it's what the Bible says, right? Psalm 147, 4 through 5. He, God, determines the number of the stars, calls them each by name, Great as our Lord and mighty in power, and listen, his understanding has no limit. Well, that verse right there just blows them away. He doesn't know, he's, he's got no limit, he knows everything. By the way, one guy, this is kind of cool, he calculated, I don't know, we, how would you like to have that job? You sit around, you get to count stars. Wouldn't that be awesome? Maybe not. <laughs> That's right. So, anyway, an Australian study a few years ago put the number of stars that we can, that we can see, because you can't see everything, obviously but that we can see as 70,000 million, million, million. And what that is, is that's the number 70 followed by 22 zeros. That means there are more stars in the sky, listen, and this is just what we can see, than there are grains of sand on the beaches and deserts in the world. And yet God knows them all. He knows them all by name. But Jehovah's Witness says, no, he doesn't know all things. Are you crazy? The book of Genesis, what we got? The classic story of, of Joseph, right? Chapter 50 around there, right? God knows all things. He knew from the beginning from the end, right? And he promised Joseph that, hey, one day, you know, got something special for you, right? And then, boy, it seemed like, well, obviously God didn't know all things because look at me. My brothers threw me into this hole. They tried to kill me. They sold me off into slavery. They lied to my dad, said I was dead. And then on top of that, I think things are starting to go good. And then I get accused of going to rape. I go to jail. The guy who was supposed to get, put a word in for me so I get out of jail, he lied even after I did him a favor. And, and then he left me there to rot. And then finally, things began to kick into gear. God didn't make a mistake. It just takes time. From man's point of view. But God knew it from the beginning from the end. He, his promises are, he doesn't lie. He knows it all, okay? And then Genesis 45, uh, Joseph makes that response to his family when they show up, right? After the famine. And now he says, do not be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you, right? So Joseph finally got it that God knows all things. And you may not see it now, but if he said it, it's going to happen. You can bank on it. Why? Because God knows all things. Past, present, and future. He's holy. He doesn't lie. He never gets it wrong. Now, he doesn't just know the stars. Okay, that's pretty wild. And he just doesn't know what just Joseph. I mean, everybody else has just been flying all over, hopefully getting it right. Only Joseph had that reassurance from God that he knew what he was doing. No, no. God knows everything about us, right? Uh, the Bible says that God know, knew us and even had a plan for us before we were even born. Okay, Matthew 10 also tells us that even the hairs on her head are numbered. Now, for some of us, that might be a bigger feat than others, but preacher's just going to keep looking ahead at that light socket and focus on the study, right? We're not going to go there. But anyway, so no, this is why he knows everything about us, even the, every, the hairs on her head, okay? Uh, no matter how carefully we keep secrets from others, we can't keep secrets from God. Why? Because he knows everything. He even knows what these guys in the watchtower are doing right now. He knows what they're doing. He knows what their false teaching are saying about him. He knows it all. 
right? Psalm 139, David says, you search me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. How many of my ways? All my ways. Listen to this. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. He knows what I'm going to say before you even say it. And yet, what'd you say? Uh, he doesn't know all things. And yet, you say, but we do. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Talk about arrogance, right? Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. He sees our actions every minute of the day. He even knows, listen, it, and, and even though he knows everything about us, both good and bad, he still loves us. Praise God for Jesus, amen? That's awesome stuff, okay? But what a comfort. He knows everything, right? We don't have to worry. We don't have to be afraid. He knows what he's doing. If he said it, you could take it to the bank, right? He knows all things. He even knows uh, our feelings, okay? Listen, for the Lord searches, 1 Chronicles 28, for the Lord searches every heart, and he understands every desire and every thought. Nobody knows us better than God. He knows our emotions. He knows how we're feeling. He knows what we're going through. Even the scripture says Jesus, the son, God, the son. He was tempted in every way as we are. He knows what we go through on this stinky, messed up version of the earth, right? But he knows. Nobody knows this like God. He knows how to take care of us. He knows what's going to happen. You don't need to be afraid, okay? And then, of course, uh, God proves that he knows everything. And here's, again, the other ironic thing. He proves everything by that he knows everything by predicting what the future because only somebody who knew the beginning from the end i.e all things can what predict the future right and how many prophecies does he get right 100 nearly 300 uh, or over 300 prophecies predicting jesus first coming every single one nailed him down over 300 are also concerning his second coming. Guess how, what he's going to do with those? He's going to nail all those down, right? The rise and fall of nations, all that stuff, God gets right every single time. He demonstrates he knows everything by predicting the future before it ever happens, okay? But guess what? He never gets it wrong. Why? Because he's God, and only he knows all things, and he knows all things. Guess what? These guys we're going to see tonight, if we get that far, man, they're big into prophecy. Nothing wrong with prophecy. It is in the scripture, but they're date setters, and they get it wrong again and again and again. So the whole thing is, you say that God does not know all things, but I do. And God demonstrates that he alone only knows all things by predicting the future. And you say you can, but you don't, and you get it wrong every single time. And you keep doing it. Crazy. Talk about the height of hypocrisy and arrogance. And listen to this. As believers, our future is secure, not because we know every little detail that lies ahead, but because God knows. And you can go to sleep. Have a good night. Right? But Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't get that. That's not the God that they get. That's not the biblical God they get. God doesn't know. I mean, you're just, oh. And it's almost like they're stripping them away to don't rely on anybody else but us. That's a cult. And that's what they do. Now, you thought that was bad enough? They mess up the Trinity? Okay, they say God doesn't know all things. Excuse me. Now they mess with another attribute of God. And they say he is what? He is not everywhere. <laughs> then he's not God. Again, the basic four characteristics of a supreme being. Now you're attacking his omnipresence, right? Okay, God is everywhere present, right? In fact, spatial dimensions cannot limit God. King Solomon said, 1 Kings chapter 8, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you, much less this temple I have built, right? You, you really think that we're going to be able to contain God in some confined space? God is omnipresent. He's God, right? 
And uh, he is uh, everywhere. He understood that. Isaiah 66, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? Where, where shall my resting place be? Right? You can't contain me. Right? He is omnipresent okay, at everything. And he can reach into anything at any time. And this kind of spills over into the other aspect with his omniscience, his knowing. Because he knows everything. Kind of, it all blends together, right? I'm not saying one's dependent on the other. He just, he just is who God is. He knows all things, but he knows all things because he sees all things. He sees all things. Why? Because he's everywhere at all times, past, present, future. You can't hide from him, right? But listen, it's God's reach, right? Uh, Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, they tried to hide from the Lord, and they pulled it off. God looked for two weeks, man, two weeks. You see, you don't, know, you don't see that normally. See, it's in the southern Hebrew there. And, and there's, a, there's a gap in between the two verses there. Inside there, God was searching for two weeks. Heretic, heretic, no, it's, it's heretic. No, I'm just making that, obviously, I'm being facetious for a point. Excuse me? No, okay? God knew. But they say, well, then why did God say, Adam, where are you? He's being a dad, right? I give you the story how many times, and this really happened, unfortunately. Uh, and he's not here tonight, so maybe I can verbalize even more. But uh, my son, Billy, <laughs> Man, cookie jar, cookie jar. He's eating out of the cookie jar. We told him don't eat out of the cookie jar. I caught him again eating out of the cookie jar. Right? Man, he was well, I don't know three years old. This you know, yeah, his head was way bigger. But anyway, so he's cookie jar. <laughs> don't eat out the cookie jar. So we caught him. I said, Billy, what are you doing? He turns around. Right? Did you eat out of the cookie jar? And you can see the crumbs all over his face. No. Are you serious? And it's the same thing. God knows everything. And he knew where Adam and Eve were the whole time. He's omnipresent. He's God. But just like a heavenly father, hey, where are you guys? Come on out. That's what's going on. It's not a denial of his omnipresence. Uh, that's, that's unfortunate. But they tried. But guess what? It wasn't successful. Uh, Jonah, man, he attempted to flee from God. and Because all you got to do is hop on a boat and God can't see you. Where'd they go? Where'd they go? I can't see them through the portholes. Right? No, they're in the TARDIS. In the TARDIS, nobody can see through the TARDIS. No. Right? God could see even through Doctor Who, even if he was real, but he's not. Okay. But anyway, hey, no. You could try to flee. You could try to run. You could try to hide. Why can't you? Because God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. And that's what David said, Psalm 139. Listen, where can I, how do you get around this one? How do you get around this even in your perverted version of the Bible called the New World Translation? How do you get around Psalm 139? You sit there and say, and quote, God is not everywhere, yet Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit, God? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the, and the light become night around me, even darkness will not be dark to you, and the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created me in my inmost being, you knitted me together in my mother's womb, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderful made, your works are wonderful, I know that full well. Listen to this, my frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body, listen, all the days, how many days? All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And now you can go to sleep tonight. We're born on time, we're dying on time. God knows everything about us. Right? You know, we should do a study on the character of God sometime. What do you guys think? 
Because it's obviously an important truth that we need to know. How precious are me, are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. You're with me wherever I go. Everywhere you go, there God is. You don't have to worry. You know, people say, you know, actually one of the biggest problems that people have, emotional problems, they say, is people are lonely. But guess what? Yeah, it's nice to see somebody with skin on. How many of you guys like skin, people with skin on? Me, per, you know, without skin, it gets kind of creepy, to be honest with you. And I don't want to go out to lunch with you. But, <laughs> but if you're a Christian, you're never alone. You can be on a desert island. You're never alone. God's with you. If you're going to have a friend, no offense to all you guys. God, wow. I got everything I need. All sufficiency. Everything I need is in Christ. I'm never, ever alone. Why? Because God is everywhere, unlike the Jehovah's Witnesses, false teaching. Now let's continue on. And you thought that was bad? Well, it gets worse as you go. He, their version of God, listen, they say, first created Michael the archangel, through whom he created all other things. Well, wait a second. Colossians says Jesus did that. Well, that's why they want to try to say that Michael, the archangel, is Jesus. I'll get to that in a second. Can you believe that? Including, they say, the universe, the earth, Adam, Eve, and who? Act. That's right, Ruth. And somehow, some way, I don't know. I don't know if they had calculators back in Charles Taze Russell Day. Maybe he was hooked on Abascus or whatever you call those little bead-looking things. But he was able to calculate somehow exactly this took 42,000 years. Longer than the earth's been here, but whatever. Okay, but what? So you should, it, the, Michael, the archangel, is Jesus, and he, and he was the first one created, and he made all what? Yeah, let's dive into that a little bit. We'll probably get into this more when we get to the section on Jesus. But anyway, let me get a little teaser. Is Jesus Christ the archangel Michael? Not at all, but that's what they teach. The Watchtower teaches that Jesus existed, listen, as Michael the archangel prior to coming to the earth. And he became Michael the archangel again after he was resurrected. Well, that's like a Hindu version of reincarnation. What's going on here? It is absolutely wild. They claim that Jesus was only a man when he was on earth. And when he died, the man, Jesus, ceased to exist. And he was raised as a spirit creature into the archangel Michael. Wow. Now, what's a classic sign? How do you know that you're getting involved in a cult? When they get the character of God wrong, they get their authority wrong, they get the Trinity wrong. What's the next one? You get Jesus wrong. And they're getting every one of these wrong. That's why they're a cult, by the classic definition. Now, in order to try to prove that Jesus is the archangel Michael, they often point to passages like Daniel chapter 10, where Michael is seen as, quote, one of the chief princes. As, oh, see, he's the chief, uh, uh, chief prince. And so Jesus, you know, he's, he's kind of a big guy, a prince, and so that, they're one and the same. Okay, Michael, the archangel, is called a chief prince, but Jesus is more than a prince or even a ruler. He is called the king of kings and the lord of lords. Okay, uh, that title indicates absolute sovereignty and authority. That's a far cry from being a, quote, one of the chief princes uh, among uh, a other group of equals. Okay, and Jesus is the, the top. Okay, and specifically... Uh, Jesus was never the Michelangelo the Archangel before he came to the earth, nor was he raised a, a, a spirit creature. In fact, the Bible says that God, listen, Hebrews 2, God did not subject to angels the world to come. We would say, who did he subject the world to? Who's going to rule the world? Jesus, right? The millennial kingdom. The scripture says he did not, God did not subject the, uh, to the angels the world to come. 
The angels aren't going to be in charge. Well, wait a second. Then if you say Jesus is the archangel, then you're, you're starting to mess up a lot of scripture that says that the son's going to be ruling. He's going to rule with a rod of iron, right? The scripture is very clear about that, that the son will be ruling. But then the scripture says the angels aren't going to be ruling. So which one is it? It's called a false teaching. That's why it contradicts. The Bible never contradicts. It's a complete unit. But once man gets his hands in there, things mess up. Now, they're also big, and I think we'll get a, another clue as to why. It's not only because they're trying to be cool. They have some insight knowledge that nobody else does. That's what cults do. But you notice they're called the what witnesses? Jehovah's Witnesses. In fact, you can only use Jehovah. Right? Well, why are they so big on that? Well, we'll get to that in a little bit. But it just so happens when you look at Jehovah used in the scripture of God, uh, the same thing applies to Jesus. <laughs> right? And so, so how could he be the Archangel Michael when he's clearly Jehovah? Let me just rip through a few of those. Jehovah knows all things, 1 John 3. Uh, Jesus knows all things, John 16. Jehovah is the only one who knows the hearts of men, 1 Kings 8. Jesus knows the hearts of men, John chapter 2. Jehovah is our sanctifier, Exodus 31. Jesus sanctifies us, Hebrews chapter 10. Jehovah is our peace, Judges 3. Jesus is our peace, Ephesians 2. Jehovah is our righteousness, Jeremiah 23. Jesus is our righteousness, 1 Corinthians 1. Jehovah is our healer, Exodus 15. Jesus heals us, Acts chapter 9. Jehovah God dwells in us, 2 Corinthians 6. Jesus dwells in us, Romans chapter 8. Jehovah is the giver of life, who will not allow his people to be snatched out of his hand, Deuteronomy 32. Jesus is the giver of life who will not allow his people to be snatched out of his hand, John chapter 10. Jehovah's voice is like the roar of rushing waters, uh, uh, Ezekiel 43. Jesus' voice was like the sound of rushing waters, Revelation chapter 1. Jehovah is present everywhere, Proverbs 13, Jeremiah 23, 1 Kings 8. Uh, Jesus is omnipresent, John chapter 1, Matthew 18, and Matthew 28. Jehovah's nature does not change, Malachi 3. Jesus' nature doesn't change, Hebrews 13. Jehovah is the only God we are to serve, 2 Kings 17. Jesus is to be served, Colossians chapter 3. Jehovah is the only God to be worshipped, Exodus 34. Jesus receives the same honor and worship that the Father receives john chapter 5 revelation 5 14 and also revelation 4 quote no angel can receive worship the bible is clear about that revelation 22 so how in the world could you say jesus is the archangel michael when clearly angels don't get to rule the earth that's relegated to the sun which there has to be a distinction jehovah who is god not an angel same attributes as the sun down there. Oh, by the way, I had two more pages of comparisons. I'm not going to read, but you get the idea. Okay, Jehovah and Jesus, right? Because he's God. And then the scripture says angels do not, uh, uh, are, are, will not and cannot be worshipped. Scripture is clear about that and won't receive worship. But yet Jesus did. So how can you sit there and say the whole thing falls apart? In fact, some of the, the Jehovah's Witnesses that I've witnessed to, I've brought that up. And then that's when they just said, oh, hey, we got to go. <laughs> Literally. Even though I invite them to come back, they don't for some reason. Right? And I bring this point up. Listen, you trying to say that he's not God, Jesus. Then why did Jesus forgive sin? And only who can forgive sin? God. And why did Jesus receive worship and did not rebuke people for doing that? Okay, we got to go, mister. He is not the archangel Michael. But again, that's one of their distinctions. The Bible nowhere identifies Jesus as Michael or any other angel. In fact, speaking of Hebrews, in Hebrews, a very important book, okay, in Hebrews chapter 1, clearly draws a specific distinction between Jesus and the angels. How do you get around this? 
Let me quote that to you. Hebrews 1, 5 through 8. Uh, for, which two of, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Er, stop. I didn't even get the whole verse down yet. What did he just say? There's a dichotomy there. There's what? Angels and there's the who? Son. How can they be one and the same? How could Jesus be an angel? Some of the Bible teaches, right? And he says this. He says, uh, you are my son. Today I become your father. Or again, will, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings forth uh, his son in the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Well, wait a second. If the angels worship Jesus, how could Jesus be an angel? Then you have to worship himself. Which angels can't worship you? It all falls apart. I'm just reading one paragraph. Right? And, he, uh, and he goes on. He says, he makes his angels winds, his servant flames of fire. But to the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. Okay, Angels worship Jesus because he's God and he's worthy of worship. No angel is ever worshipped in scripture. Therefore, Jesus, who is worthy of worship, cannot be an angel who are not worthy of worship. You can't have it both ways. It's mutually exclusive, right? But that's one thing uh, that they do. Also, angels are called the sons of God, but Jesus is called the son of God. Okay, major, major difference. Oh, and just let me give you one more. A clear distinction between the power and authority between Michael and Jesus. Listen, Matthew 4, Jesus directly rebukes Satan, right? Himself as God, the son, right? You look in Jude 9, Michael, the archangels mention and there's a confrontation with Satan. What's he say? I, Michael, Archangel, rebuke you? No, the Lord rebuke you. So who's in control here? you got two different entities. There's no way you can't merge the two together. So, man, we even got through that first paragraph, and this is supposed to be them in a nutshell, right? So they got God all messed up. Not surprising, because that's what cults do. Uh, they choke on the Trinity. They say God doesn't know all things. He's not everywhere. Then they mess with Jesus, want to say that he's the archangel Michael, right? And then let's continue on. Where are they getting all this from? Well, here we go. Now we're getting into this entity, the Watchtower, right? And remember the Watchtower, it started off with only Charles Taze Russell, only he should be listened to, only he. Well, then that transferred to, after he died, to Judge Rutherford, right? And even though he wasn't a judge. Well, then eventually it made it to this group of guys in the Watchtower, uh, and that's where all this is coming from even to this day. So the Watchtower, let's take a look at that. The Watchtower, Bible and Tract Society, taught that God ruled the universe, their version of God, listen, from somewhere in the Pleiades star system. Hey, don't laugh. Apparently they have secret knowledge and giant telescopes that we can't get access to. <laughs> what? Listen, now, they have since modified this. Ooh, what's, what's, what's modify mean? Change, but wait a second. You say that God doesn't know all things, but you do. Then why'd you have to change it? it? Means you got it wrong, which means it's a lie. And if you get that wrong, why should I listen to anything else? Right? And that's what the scripture says. Remember what Deuteronomy? What right? it says about a prophet? If he speaks presumptuously in the name of the Lord, it doesn't come to pass. Don't be afraid of him. That goes on and says you need to get rid of the guy. Right? Even one time. Why? Because God never gets it wrong, and God doesn't lie. So the word modify means right then and there, close the book, all right, slam it, shut down all the kingdom halls, get rid of all these pamphlets, we're going back to the Bibles, these guys got it wrong because they told us that the center of the universe was in play. but what happens? Nope. Keeps going. You know why? Because cults, once they get you locked in, after 740 knocks on your door, right, they get you and they seduce you into it, then 
They slap it in. It's like chains. Fear. You're going to go to hell. You're from Satan. You don't love God. Don't listen to those people. That's apostate material. And people are scared to death. They, even though they know. And if we can get that far. Uh, they literally say just that. Don't you ever listen to anybody else but us. Ah, it's just crazy. Anyway, so that's what they did. Now, they modified that to say that the Pleiades can no longer be considered the center of the universe, and it would be unwise for us to try to fix God's throne as being at a particular spot in the universe. Well, duh. Right? But it still doesn't negate. Guess what? You got it wrong. Right? So why should I keep listening to you? Such changes, there it is. There's your next point. Such changes, even contradictions. Does God change? Does God contradict? Does God modify? No. In teaching, such changes, uh, contradictions in teachings are, what's the word there? Frequent. You didn't just do it once. And God never gets it wrong. This happens all the time. So why do people stay? I'm telling you, fear. Fear is a classic tool to keep people locked in uh, to the goal, as well as brainwashing. All right? But anyway, so let's continue. They frequently... Okay, I get it wrong. In the Watchtower organization, when a doctrine changes, they will tell their followers, listen, that the light of the truth is getting brighter. No, you're a liar. And you just got it wrong again. That's what's going on. But you can't say that. So you got to come up with some spiritual phrase. Ah, oh, the light is getting brighter. It's progressive revelation. And now we know more than we want. Then you're not God. And that's what the whole audacity is. I'm, I'm not... If, if we can get that far. <laughs> That's the phrase for tonight. <laughs> you say God doesn't know all things, but you say you do, and yet you get it so wrong repeatedly. It's crazy. So let's examine this Watchtower thing. This Watchtower Bible and Tract Society of Pennsylvania is headquartered now in Warwick, New York. Uh, it's the main entity for the worldwide Jehovah's Witnesses to, quote, direct, administer, and disseminate doctrines for the group. Uh, the members uh, usually just call it the society. Okay? And, uh, but it is all about control, right? And again, it went from Russell to Rutherford, and these entities control everything. Everything they do, everything they think, everything they believe. It's a cult. Now listen, in 1908, Russell, who started it here, all right, required the directors to write out resignations when they were appointed so Russell could dismiss them simply by filling in the date. You don't think that was uh, held over your head? Hello. Right? Well, who's got the control? Now, you might say, oh, no, we have an, a board. We have other people who have input. Really? Don't make me sign the date. Right? And they use it. Right? Russell died, of course, 1916, as we saw. Then Rutherford replaces him in 1917. All right. In uh, June of that year, uh, four of the directors, as we saw before, uh, quote, decided they had erred in endorsing Rutherford's ex uh, expanded powers of management, claiming that Rutherford had become autocratic. This guy's a takeover. Remember that? We saw that. Okay. And then the next month, July 12th, Rutherford uh, got rid of those guys. And there's now four vacancies. All right. So it's all about control. Then he also is the one who introduced the term how this organization was going to be run. And boy, doesn't this sound scriptural. It was called theocracy, right? Theos, God, you know, God ruling. Yeah, well, you guys think you are God, right? Uh, and so that's what uh, he began to say. And of course, and it was to describe the hierarchical leadership of Jehovah's Witnesses, explaining, quote, the theocracy 
is at present administered by the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, of which Judge Rutherford is the president and general manager. Then, as we saw before uh, in great detail last time, the society appointed, quote, zone servants to supervise the congregations, right? And declared the need for the congregations to, quote, get in line with the change of structure, right? There's no freedom here, right? It's just you are constantly monitored, everything, even your conversations, because somebody might turn you into the elders for a meeting. It's fear, fear. Uh, Rutherford's death, of course, the next guy was Nathan Knorr. He made uh, more changes and, uh, qu- to fit in closer to the harmony of, quote, theocratic principles. Right? That's the big fancy word of, we're going to control everything. The watchtower is going to control everything. Now, uh, in fact, uh, one author says, because you know, they say, oh, we got voting members. Listen to what he says. He says it's purely symbolic. He said they cannot be considered to be representatives of the mass of Jehovah's Witnesses and are in, quote, no position to challenge the actions or authority of the society's directors. It's all fake. You can say you vote or you want. It won't change a thing. Those guys got full power. They're going to do whatever they're going to do. Okay. Oh, and by the way, uh, remember we saw Mormons? Mormons got a lot of cash. These guys got a lot of cash. And we're not talking millions. We're talking billions. These guys got big money. So here they're sitting on top. Remember what the last guy did? Hey, the prophets are coming back. They need to live in a palatial mansion in sunny San Diego. We need to build it for them. Oh, by the way, I'll keep it warm. <laughs> yeah, the guy made out like a bandit, right? Had two Cadillacs and all that stuff. Same kind of thing. These guys sit at the top here. Whoo, not millions, billions. Sitting on billions. Now, I'm just going to share with you recently, because remember they uh, moved their headquarters from Brooklyn in, in New York, and they moved it into the, the, up, up further in New York. Okay, well, they had a lot of property, and they still have a lot of property they haven't sold. But let me read to you just some of the value of the money they raked in just from selling some, just some, not all, not nearly all of their properties. And they've already got a ton of cash anyway. But just recently, when they sold that property, listen, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to name the properties, I'm just going to give you the figures. Right? In one property, it was $205 million, $18.6 million, $14 million, $50 million, $6.6 million, $3 million, $4.1 million, $3.3 million, $2.8 million, $81 million, $7.1 million, $3.25 million, $30.6 million, $375 million, $105 million, $850 to $1 billion just in one piece of property, $700 million for another, $340 million. They still own at least 34 properties in Brooklyn. Just from the sale of that, they got billions of dollars. That's not counting everything you already had. And remember the founding guy, Charles Hayes Russell? What what did he he do? He was a millionaire. He sold the businesses, multi-millionaire, used that money, got the whole thing started. Well, it continued on. This guy, Rutherford, continued to live high on the hog, big time. Okay, and guess what? They're raking in the dough big time. These guys are billionaires. They're sitting on a wad of cash. So they got control, right? And again, once you understand the history, just as we saw with Mormonism, Right? You, you could, man, that same kind of thread, that same kind of sin goes through the whole thing. Right? Money, money, money. Now, critics have accused the society of being authoritarian, controlling, and coercive in dealings with individual Jehovah's Witnesses, designing to exercise control over every aspect of the lives of Jehovah's Witnesses. Every aspect. Right? And conditioned to think that it is wrong for them to question anything the society publishes. Right? Uh, in fact, this is a, a secular, it says this, the Watchtower has been accused of employing techniques of mind control on witnesses, including the direction to avoid reading criticism of the organization. That's what they call apostate material. You can't even look at it. They won't look at it. They're so f- afraid of looking at it. They're, they're locked into this. 740 knocks. 
That's what it takes to get you. They suck you in, throw on some fear. Man, these people are locked in. And they're locked in for multi-generations. Right? Maybe we'll get some testimonies uh, sometime. Frequently also uh, tightly controlled indoctrination meetings, regimentation, social alienation. Okay, we'll get into their practice of what's called disfellowshipping. Uh, Lord willing later, and elaborate promises of future rewards. But do they really work at literally controlling everything people do once they get sucked into this, uh, this cult, okay? And literally, they are just so scared to leave. I mean, they are so dependent on... Yeah, they do. And I'm going to share with you actual quotes from the Watchtower magazine. This is really what they do. And again, notice it was what studies? Book studies. Not Bible studies. Not, prim- not even their own perverted Bible, Right? It's book studies. It's the stuff that's being disseminated from this entity, the Watchtower. So in other words, that's all they're getting. You think, well, maybe one day they'll stumble across in the Bible. Not necessarily. This is their top priority. Now listen to what this. They say, quotes, the Watchtower, the Bible can only be understood via the Watchtower organization. Who does that sound like? Sounds like the Vatican, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's basically their version of the Vatican. They're sitting on top as the Pope. It's the exact same thing. Listen, the Bible can only be studied. Now, I'm going to read. This is Watchtower Magazine, July 1st, 1973, page 402, in case you want to check it out. Right? Quote, only this organization, the Watchtower, functions for Jehovah's purpose and to his praise. To it alone, God's sacred word, the Bible is not a sealed book. In other words, they're the only ones who could properly interpret the Bible. That's it. It's only from them. Right? goes even further. Number two, individuals are not able to rightly interpret the Bible from what the Watchtower organization says. Uh, Watchtower Magazine, October 1st, 1967, page 587. Thus, the Bible is an organizational book and belongs to the congregation as an organization, not to individuals, right? Regardless of how sincerely they may believe that they can interpret the Bible. Again, who does that sound like? That's Catholics, right? And so that's why I keep saying it. Book studies, not Bible studies, Book studies. Because what is the Vatican, as we saw in 12 weeks, we went through that, Roman Catholicism, right? What do they downplay? Don't read the Bible. You have no right to read the Bible. Only we, the spiritual elite, can interpret the Bible. How dare you read the Bible? Don't pick it up. It's the same thing that these guys are doing, and it locks these people uh, into that. Number three, if you don't, listen to this. If you don't understand something, meekly, right, just meekly, Meekly wait for the watchtower to tell you what the truth is. Otherwise, you are foolish. (laughs) And I quote, listen to this. We should eat and digest and assimilate what is set before us without shying away from the parts of the food because it may uh, not suit the fancy of our mental taste. We should meekly go along with the Lord's theocratic organization, watchtower, and wait for further clarification rather than balk at the first mention of a thought unpalatable to us. Theocratic ones will appreciate the Lord's visible organization, the Watchtower, and not be so foolish as to put against Jehovah's channel, the Watchtower, their own human reasoning and sentiment and personal feelings. Don't you dare disagree with us. And if it doesn't make sense, eat it anyway, like chicken. I'm telling you, it's got to be good for you. And even if you're puking your guts out, I'm telling you, just don't question it. How dare you? That's really what they teach. Okay? Number four, the Watchtower magazine is the means of God's communication. What? Again, what studies? Book studies, not Bible studies. 
Whatever these guys disseminate in that magazine, that's as good as the Bible. And frankly, they say better. Listen to this, and another direct quote. Uh, it should be expected that the Lord would have a means of communication to his people on the earth. And he has clearly shown that the magazine called the Watchtower is used for that purpose. So they literally said, that magazine, the magazine, carries more authority than the Bible. That's a cult. That's a cult. Stay out of there. You don't have any right to interpret that. And if it doesn't make sense, eat it anyway. Crazy. Crazy, with all due respect. Uh, and listen, another one. Uh, to those that think apart from the watchtower, here comes your fear. You are from Satan. Right? Quote, from time to time there has arisen from among the ranks of Jehovah's people those who, like the original Satan, have adopted an independent, fault-finding attitude. They say that it is sufficient to read the Bible exclusively, either alone or in small groups at home. How dare you? That's stuff that Satan would do. Direct quote. People are locked in. They're scared to death of looking at anything. I've got to read this magazine. Don't go leave no one's out of man. Then they flip it around. Not only call you Satan and threaten you, and how dare you even question. Remember, that's what cults do. Then they flip it around. If you even question this, it just shows you really don't love God. You're not only from Satan, you don't love God. Listen to this, right? Quote, we cannot claim to love God yet deny his word and channel of communication. Which is who? The watchtower. In other words, you deny what they say, you don't love God. How dare you? What kind of spirituality are you? And, quote, the truth of God can only be known through the watchtower organization. One more quote. All who want to understand the Bible should appreciate that the greatly diversified wisdom of God can become known only through Jehovah's channel of communication, the faithful and discreet slave. That's their verbiage. It means the watchtower. So don't you dare disagree. May not make sense at all, and you're spiritually wanting to puke. But hey, don't question. We know what we're doing. You have no right. Only us, the spiritually, can uh, do that for you. Oh, by the way, if you disagree, you really don't love God, and you're from Satan. Fear. Fear. Hey, if it took 740 knocks, gotcha. And now we gotcha. We lock you in with fear. Sad. Really sad. Got to give it to a man. They're out there beating us. When it comes to sharing, beating us to shame, it's just sad that it's wrong. Wow. Okay, but hey, but again, you're supposed to get all this right, right? You're, I mean, if you're so correct that you say that God doesn't know everything, but you do, right? We already saw that you keep changing stuff, right? Then why do you get so many things wrong? Not just doctrinally, right? But why do you get it wrong with things that could demonstrate that you were God's mouthpiece, i.e. things of the future? Now, I'm going to share with you how many times they get it wrong, okay, over and over again with date setting, predicting the future, right? And I don't think these are all of them, but this is going to give you an idea. These guys not just get it wrong, they get it wrong repeatedly. And again, Deuteronomy said that if a prophet, Deuteronomy 18, that if a prophet proclaims that the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that message of the Lord, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. Run. Get away. All right? 1897, they said, Our Lord, the appointed, uh, the appointed king, is now present, and he's been present since October 1874. So Jesus has been here since 1874. I ain't seen him yet. You got, okay, you got that wrong. But yet you're God. You're God's mouthpiece. Who, by the way, your version of God says you don't, he doesn't know everything, but you do. And you, well, I'm just getting started. 1899. 
the battle of Armageddon, the great day of God Almighty, will end, uh, which will end in A.D. 1914, with the complete overthrow of the earth's present rulership, uh, is already commenced. Did that happen? No. 1916, they say the Bible chronology herein presented shows that the six great 1,000-year days, beginning with Adam, are ended, and that the seventh day, the 1,000 years reigns Christ, began in 1873. So the Millennial Kingdom began in 1873. Are we in the Millennial Kingdom? No. Don't think so. 1918, therefore, we may confidently expect that in 1925 will mark the return of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the faithful prophets of old. Notice that's 1918, the year after Rutherford shows up on the scene. And so he conveniently says, they're coming in 1925 because you need time to build that house. Oh, and hey, by the way, we need to build them a house. What a scam. Okay. Oh, in 1922, they're still working on that 1925 date. The date 1925 is even more distinctly indicated by the scriptures than 1914. Well, that means you got it wrong then. He admitted it, but oh, somehow it's greater light. 1923, our thought is that 1925 is definitely settled by the scripture. And when 1925 arrived, and they said, you know, the year hadn't gone out quite yet. They said, the year 1925 is here with great expectation. We've looked forward, and I'm just quoting the Watchtower, by the way. We've looked forward to this year. Uh, many have confidently expected that all members of the body of Christ will be changed into heavenly glory during this year. <sighs> then as the year went on, they start putting out a little bit of a disclaimer. Quote, this may be accomplished. It may not be. In his own due time, God will accomplish his purposes concerning his people. Christians should not be so deeply concerned about what may transpire this year, you liar. Just in case you get it wrong, and you did, of course, shocker, and everybody who predicts the date will get it wrong. You put out a disclaimer. And listen what they had the audacity to say 1926 after, obviously, 1925, those who hooked on math. Uh, some anticipated the work would end in 1925, but the Lord did not state so. The difficulty was that the friends inflated their imaginations beyond reasoning, and they were inclined to throw everything away. You got him into that. But no, it was those other people got him all excited about it, not us. I'm reading your writings. 1941, they said, in 1941, they were in the remaining months of the Armageddon. That happened? No, that didn't happen. 1960s, they started saying, 1975. That's right, 1975, that's when it's going to happen. Right? According to this trustworthy Bible chronology, 6,000 years from man's creation will end in 1975. And at that point, the seventh period of the thousand years, the millennial kingdom, human history will begin in the fall of 1975. Now, just in case you doubt that, they got really spiritual on this one because it was in June 1966 that they began to print this theory right, uh, and popularize it. Because, as we all know, June is the sixth month, and the year was 1966. So that was when they had to promote this, because this makes it all real. No! <laughs> but it's crazy. I wish I was making this up. Right? But guess what? Shocker, just like everything else. Uh, membership rose significantly in the 60s and midway up to the 70s, 1975. Some members, just like what happened in 1925 and the other day, sold their professions, cashed in their insurance policies, and anticipated the millennium's arrival. Guess what? Never happened. You not only get it wrong, you get it wrong repeatedly. It's on record. And I'm talking about specifically the Watchtower, not just even your founders. You keep getting it wrong. And you have the audacity to say, God doesn't know all things, but we do. And don't disagree with this, otherwise you're from Satan and you don't love God. 
and yet you get it wrong again and again. And just real quick, they get it wrong, of course, on what you... It's one thing to get wrong on uh, prophecy. One thing you don't want to get wrong is eternity, and that's salvation. Real quick, here are their requirements. This is not the same gospel. It's not even close, just like Mormonism. It's a works-based salvation. The first requirement is you have to, quote, take in knowledge of the only true God, which, of course, is their version, which is not biblical. So number one, you got to buy into their theology. Uh, number two, the second requirement is you have to, quote, obey God's laws. So you have to work your way there, but you can't. In fact, I'm going to read one sentence from them, and in this one sentence, they completely contradict themselves. They say, quote, salvation from death is a gift from God. Now, if you would have stopped right there, hey, that sounds like a Bible verse. Let me finish the sentence. Salvation from death is a gift from God to those that obey him and those that do not disobey. <laughs> then it's not a gift. If it's hinging on your obedience, that's not a gift, that's a wage. In the exact same sentence. It's a works-based salvation. It is not anything what we believe. Number three, in order to get to heaven for them, is that we be associated with, guess who? God's channel, his organization. To receive everlasting life in the earthly paradise, we must identify that organization and serve God as a part of it. We've got to submit to the watchtower. That's not what the Bible teaches. Crazy. Number four, you have to be connected with loyalty, right? God requires that his perspective subjects are uh, subjects of his kingdom and his government by loyally advocating his kingdom rule to other people. you got to be kidding me. You get everything wrong. You get all kinds of things wrong. You're so wrong, we, uh, we lose track how many times you get it wrong. We point out you're wrong, and you're going like, well, why would anybody stay? Uh, we haven't really exploded into this yet. I'm going to give you some gut-wrenching stories, Lord One, Families are destroyed. I got good Christian friends who got saved out of this to this day. To this day, after decades, their family won't even talk to them. As if they're just dead, because that's what they are. And you better do it. You better do what this watchtower says, or you're never going to make it to paradise. You're from Satan. You don't love God. It's a cult, Right? Now, in closing, real quick, there is some similarities that we do have with Mormonism. Now, if we saw with Mormonism, we also saw, you're going like, where do these guys get this from? Why are they so messed up? Well, it's a false teaching. But they're also hooked up into a same root that Mormonism, we saw, clearly was also hooked up into with the verbiage and the symbolism. And that, of course, is with Freemasonry. Remember that with Joseph Smith and a lot of the so-called uh, uh, secret rituals and handshakes and all that stuff? He was a Freemasonry. Right? We went into that in great detail. Well, it's the same thing when you uh, study the foundation of Jehovah's Witnesses. They're also getting a lot of their verbiage from, guess who? Freemasonry. And let's take a look at some of that evidence. I want to give it to you visually uh, tonight. Uh, first of all, they're into Egyptian symbols, which is something that's big also in Freemasonry. Uh, as you can see here, and I'm just, uh, notice the artwork of all artwork to be putting on their books and this is Russell with his sermons. Remember his divine plans of the ages with the whole pyramid thing we dealt with? This is all Freemasonry stuff uh, as well. Most people don't realize. And I'm getting ahead of myself because that's going to be our final study is Freemasonry. But it, it's applicable to here, so I want to bring it up and give you a little teaser of what we'll eventually get to. But they're big into that, and it's all over their artwork, okay? And it's also noticed that it is there with the winged disc, the winged sun disc. That's an Egyptian thing. 
okay, that they have there. And let me, let me tell you the background of that. Uh, and this is from a mason explaining this symbolism. Albert Churchward. The winged disc uh, is, uh, is Horus commanded Thoth that the uh, winged sun disc should be brought into every sanctuary wherein he dwelt and into every sanctuary of all the gods of the lands in order that he might drive away evil from therein. This is what is meant by the winged discs, right? You got the two wings there and you got the sun disc in the middle. That's what's all over uh, Russell's books there. And this is also what's seen over the entrances and the courts of the temples and all the gods and goddesses of Egypt. Okay, so that's one of the symbols. They use the same symbol uh, that the Masons use with that. That's just one of them. The second one that they use that's also Masonic, and that is, and you'll find this on their literature all over the place, the crown and the cross, right? The crown and the cross. You'll see this on their magazine. In fact, let me give you another shot. The magazine up there going, why is it the crown? Well, it's got to be Christian. No, because most people don't understand where this came from. In fact, this is a Christmas card. Oops, thought you don't celebrate Christmas. A Christmas card from Russell. Right? In fact, you can see a little wreath in the corner there. But on the other side, once again, you see this uh, crown uh, and the cross. What's up with that? Well, that's a Freemasonry symbol. In fact, you can see it here on the history of Freemasonry. I got this one up here. It's also what they have on their uh, literature as well. That is a Masonic Knights Templar logo. The uh, cross and uh, the crown and the cross. It's also the, what the Theosophists use. Remember Alice Bailey? Right? Uh, Lucifer Publishing, that's now Lucis Trust, that's working with the UN, 666 is a good thing and all that stuff, right? Theosophy, we, the foundation of New Age movement today, exact same thing. Theosophists use the same symbol, so it's the same thing. And it's a Knights Templar uh, Masonic temple uh, uh, thing as well. Now, also, most people don't catch this, another Masonic thing is, and the same thing Jehovah's Witnesses, they use the same terms, Golden Age, the Golden Age, it's not a biblical term. Golden Age, and remember Russell's studies was called the Golden Dawn studies? Golden Age, Golden Dawn is a Masonic term. And I quote, Russell's followers continued to use the Egyptian Masonic term, the Golden Age, after he died. The Golden Age is not a scriptural term. It's the ancient term used by Egyptians for when men and gods will be, quote, in paradise together. And what's their big premise? Don't you want to go to, when they come knock at your door, what's their tagline? Don't you want to go to paradise? The golden age, that's a Masonic term, not a biblical term. And also the golden dawn, he, wow, he came up with a nifty Bible study called the golden dawn study. The golden dawn was a magazine in Charles Russell Day that a Mason started in 1887. So did he really even come with that himself? Okay, but let's take a look at some, some parallels uh, with Jehovah's Witnesses. Both believe Jehovah's the most important word and the name of their God. Well, that's interesting. Both use Masonic term, the great architect, Right? Uh, both believe that God yielded power to a lesser God. Even they mess with Jesus. Uh, both believe Jesus is only a good man, not Almighty God. Uh, both don't feel a need for Christ as their mediator. And guess what? Hey, shocker. They both meet in what? Halls? Well, that's interesting. See, one person said this. They said, why, why do they call their meeting place a hall? Why not a kingdom meeting? Why not a kingdom assembly? Why not a kingdom study or a kingdom church or a kingdom chapel or a tabernacle or a temple? Why is it a hall? Because if you're into Freemasonry, the Masonic Lodge meets in a Masonic hall. Maybe it's just a quinky dink. I don't know. But let's just, uh, uh, we'll push it out tonight. Let me give you some more uh, things that they, just like the Mormons, have ties with Freemasonry as well. And once you understand your root, then you understand why it's so spiritually messed up. 
And we'll get to that root in a second. But here you can see, once again, this is where Russell's bear. We saw that one guy took the video. Well, I want to show you some more. Um, Quinky dink, I think not. But that's the front of his headstone, right? So you can see I'm not making this up. It's not Photoshop. And there's that pyramid we saw last time, right? Now, also in the pyramid, zoomed in, what is what? Is the crown and the cross, right? Which is a Masonic term, right? And now let's take a look at the back of it. This is looking at the other side of the stone. You can see the pyramid right there. That's the face of his stone. This is the back of it. And there's the pyramid. Now, notice there's a sort of, some sort of a complex back there. This is the cemetery where Russell's buried, right? And you're going, well, what's that? Well, let's zoom in a little bit more, right? Here's close to the pyramid. There's that complex again. And now we're in front of the headstone. But, well, there's a sign right there. The sign tells us what that structure is, right? Where Russell's buried. Well, let's, let's see if we can zoom in on it, John. Uh, uh, oh, it just happens to be the Greater Pittsburgh Masonic Center. But I'm sure it's just a quinky dink. No, they have ties also with Freemasonry uh, as well. Now, again, why it's so messed up? And I'm just going to let the cow out of the bag. We'll deal with this in great detail. Most people have no clue when they get involved in Freemasonry who you are really worshiping. And the light that they are worshiping is Satan. It's Lucifer. Now, they think that Lucifer is a good guy. That remember, is the light of the New Age. And if you don't think that Masons to this day think that Lucifer is a good guy, you might want to listen to this guy got him caught on tape, admitted it outside at a Shriner's thing, right? Let's take a look at that. Lucifer, what is your problem? Just that, sir. Okay. I'm a Christian, sir. I'm pure and virtuous and wholesome and innocent. How can you say anything about, about me? Sir, you need to be born again. Is I that, am born again. Is that, now, did you just say that you are Lucifer? I am Lucifer. Okay, define Lucifer for me. Pure, virtuous, wholesome, innocent individual that's out to help people. Lucifer is? Yeah. Luc say that again. Lucifer is a pure, holy... Virtuous. Virtuous. Now, see the Lucifer that God created? That's the same one. Oh, man, this is great. I'm going to put this on the Internet. Oh, Amen. God bless you, Amen. brother. Because that's exactly what the Shriners and Masons teach, is that Lucifer, Lucifer is light. No. And you're, hey, what you're confirming it. What about those hospitals? They, you know, they, they you know what, sir? <clears throat> Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did not, we did not do these good deeds in your name. And you'll say, away from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Okay. Get out of here. <clears throat> See, this is what a Mason confesses, is that Lucifer is light. It gets really dark once you get into what's really going on with Freemasonry. Most people don't know, but I wanted to show you a pattern. Why is Mormonism so messed up? A multitude of reasons, but just so happens, Joseph Smith and others, they're connected with Freemasonry. Shocker, right? And we're influenced by such. Now you even see, I would say, a clear connection with Jehovah's Witnesses and Freemasonry. You find out who they really worship. Who do you think's calling the shots? Lucifer, who they think is the good guy. And that's just part of the reason why it is so messed up. Lord will, next week we're going to get into more of the so-called nutshell of uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and uh, see what else that they unfortunately also get wrong. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. 
In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says, we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God 
raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.